And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Makes it a two-point game. There's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luca. Deep three. Luca Magic. Hello, welcome to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast as part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Tim Cato. I'm the Mavericks beat writer. Today, we do not have Dave DeFore. Uh, we have Mike Pellucci, who is the assistant editor in, in Dallas and uh, more than capable than, than filling in and uh, just giving Dave a second off a, a week, a 30-minute a stint. I think he's earned uh, it. I think yeah. Dave's earned some time, some R&R. Do you feel like you're you. up to the task? You know, I mean, I've, for the for the lovely listeners of this podcast, I have no choice but to be up to the task, Tim. So I, I think I think we can handle this. I think we can hold this down. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're, we'll have to uh, we'll have to reconvene at the end and, and see how you did. <laughs> so we have a lot of news, interesting COVID related game postponement news, and we aren't going to take the the whole episode to talk about that. We'll probably go for about you know ten minutes here. Um, I do want to talk about the Mavericks themselves. Uh, because eventually, even if if things keep breaking down to some degree, they will be playing basketball again. But right now, they aren't. Um, the the team and, and again, so we're recording this um, Tuesday afternoon. It's possible by the time you hear this news has changed. But right now, the team is planning to fly to Charlotte to play their scheduled game Wednesday night. For them to do that, it would require they have six players confirmed to be in either isolation or or to actually have COVID. Um, the reason they couldn't play Monday night's game is because the two players who tested positive, um, I believe on, on Monday morning, they had other contact tracing players uh, who had to self-isolate at least temporarily. So for them to be able to play right now, um, to actually fly to Charlotte and have at least eight players, what it re- will require is some of those players who were in contact tracing protocols, essentially, uh, to have been cleared, uh, which is something that can happen. It's not necessarily a seven-day isolation. They need enough players cleared. And assuming there isn't news between now and the evening, the moment we're going to learn which players those are and, and and how, you know, what the severity is, how many players the Mavericks are even going to travel with, uh, we should learn that tonight when a mandated injury report uh, is is submitted to the league. So I think that's the that's the specifics or or the the details. Obviously we're still trying to figure things out, but you know, it, it's certainly a uh, a a a tough break. I, I don't even know if that's the right word. It's not a tough break. We knew that COVID outbreaks really were going to happen. Different lexicon for what this season is with COVID, right? Because right. we can we can have odds are we will have this. Pro, I mean, I, I don't want to assume we will have this conversation on this podcast again, but it just seems very difficult to believe that we won't just because of the circumstances you're playing under in the NBA. Once you know, once the league decided to forego the bubble, which for the record, I think was the only practical choice. I know it's very easy in the outside to say. Well, the bubble worked. There were no, ta- you know, there were no positive tests. Why don't we do this? Well, asking hundreds of adults to leave their families behind and play in a bubble for seven months in isolation—that's a very different ball game than tough this out for six weeks. It's just a different, a different situation you're going to be dealing with. But 
you know, once you knew there was no bubble, something like this was inevitable. And, you know, even bigger than just the specifics of this game against Charlotte, uh, Tim is the right guy to have here. I'm going to turn it back on you because you partnered with Jared Weiss over in Boston to do a great piece yesterday on essentially the rather glaring flaw in the league's COVID testing policy that sort of ensures that, you know, for better or for worse, there is no getting around this, whether from a Mavericks perspective or a Boston Celtics perspective or every team in the league, there is some element of risk involved just for how the current situation is drawn up. And I'll let you elaborate a little more on why that is and what the big concern going forward needs to be as far as not just how you deal with postponements, but sort of accepting, unfortunately, that this is inevitable in the current climate. Yeah, over the weekend, as the as the Mavericks news started coming in, I saw a lot of people confused about how the contact tracing actually worked. I was one of them. I, I was also very confused. And as I kind of saw more about how it seemed to be very pointed towards off-court uh, interactions, there is an example where Bradley Beal, a Wizards player, had to self-isolate because of contact tracing after he had a conversation with Jason Tatum, of course, a Celtics player, and they had it after a game. It was that conversation, that post-game conversation that triggered it. Not, you know, the five minutes they spent guarding each other off and on throughout the game, not the foul they committed, you know, one way against the other, not not the, you know, the, the direct contact that was happening between these two players. It, it was something that happened after the game off the court. It logically doesn't make sense. That, you know, the one place where players are, you know, allowed to come in closest contact with each other across different teams constantly, like we watch it on television. This is like the most public facet of NBA players coming together without protections against transmitting COVID-19. You know, it's happening every night. And the NBA essentially said that it wasn't happening on the court or or that they didn't believe it was very likely to happen on the court. Uh, They they mostly based this off a a, a CDC, a Centers for Disease Control guideline, that that talked about how if you're within six feet of someone for 15 minutes or more, your chances increase dramatically of, of, you know, being someone who could have COVID transmitted to you if you're around someone for that, you know, for those periods of times uh, who is contagious and COVID positive. But as it turns out, that is an average case, average scenario about how a transmission could work. You know, the NBA didn't take that and apply it to the fact that there is high activity exercise, uh, exertion happening. Players are, are breathing more heavily and thus projecting more viral particles into the air and, and you know, have a have a greater chance of, of directly exposing someone through through those means. I think that the takeaway for me from that piece or what it should be is that like for all the protocols the NBA does have in place and their their rule book of these protocols is 153 pages long. Uh, it is insanely detailed. But for as detailed as it is, there's still Massive gaps. Like this is one that we identified. Maybe there's others. This was an obvious one. There's massive gaps in it. And I think the biggest reason and, and, you know, whether the NBA is conscious of this or not, I, I would, for as detailed as they were, you would have to think they're conscious of this is that if they identified contract tracing, um, and if they started, you know, requiring every player who was on the court with someone who then, you know, shortly thereafter test positive, they couldn't continue the season because you would have entire teams shutting down right. constantly. It would have happened, I think, seven, eight, nine, ten times already this season. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's where we are. And, and right now it seems like the NBA is doing its best to power through. I guess I'm just not optimistic and I, I would imagine you aren't either. Well, I think the money quote from your story comes towards the end from, you know, you had two medical experts in this piece. And one of them said, and I'm going to quote here, 
I don't think you could come up with a one size fits all. It's really going to depend upon each individual's circumstances and what their risk tolerance will be because no activity is going to have zero risk unless you do it the way you did it before with the bubble. There is not going to be a bubble, right? If if you're not going to do it before the year, you're not doing it mid-year. So at that point, yeah, this is – I don't know what the inflection point is. There's supposed to be an NBA Board of Governors meeting. Uh, It probably won't be the last time there's one of those this year either. And the reality is unless you shut it down entirely, which I – find very hard to believe will actually happen, then we are going to have bouts of this throughout the year. And it just, it's, you know, I, I think this, the blueprint, it's, blueprint's probably the wrong word because you don't want to follow this model. But if we've seen what this could look like, it could look like college football. That's the most chaotic example of every week, you don't know how many games are going and how many games aren't. You're rescheduling. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if you have to try and mix and match. You know, if certain teams might be near each other and they have to play each other later in the year, and you're already postponing something. Do you just outright change the schedule and say, "All right, you guys aren't in a, you know you guys don't have quarantine issues right now. We're bumping this game up, and you guys will make up games with other teams later." I don't think anything's to be off the table because this is truly unprecedented. And once that happens, even something as simple as the schedule, such a you know a building block and a routine element that we're all used to, that's going to be stretched to its absolute limits. So. Maybe they play tomorrow in Charlotte. Maybe they get the eight. Maybe they don't. Uh, I would love to think that this is the last time we have to cross this bridge. But whether it's the Mavericks in this situation or the Mavericks playing an opponent who will be in this situation, we're going to be dealing with these sorts of scenarios all season long or until the whole league gets vaccinated, whichever comes first. Right. You know, it's it's obviously a no-win situation. It's it's not ideal for the league to shut down either in the sense that uh, everybody around the league would prefer to be able to safely play games and continue but right you know if that if that's the possibility we're at i mean nobody nobody wants to see the mavericks go go to charlotte and play with eight players either and, and especially when so many of those players are rotation players the ones we know you know there's the, the three players in denver which is uh josh richardson dorian finney smith and jalen brunson uh one of them tested positive and the other two were close enough that they they have the seven days of isolation. So they're not going to rejoin the team until uh, I, I believe Friday at the earliest would be the earliest. And uh, the player who tested positive may may take even longer than that, especially if that player is symptomatic. Fingers crossed that player isn't. Maxi Kleba is going to be, be out probably 10 days uh, as, as he's also a, a player who was c- confirmed as a, as a positive. And then the two players who tested positive on Tuesday, you know, that's another 10 to 14 days for them. So if there are additional players, like like I was saying, who are either um, under contact tracing surveillance and, and have to sit out for seven days, um, or or you know hopefully not, but but who also you know potentially tested positive, uh, the Mavericks potentially could not have eight players until next Monday, uh, next Tuesday, next maybe Sunday. Uh, I'm not actually sure when the when the if they play this weekend. I'd imagine there's one game then, and you know they won't have the full team together uh, probably until. January, you know, January 22nd, 25th, 27th. Um, and that's just, that's just the current cases that they have right now. Um, and, and just the logistics of everybody getting in the same place and, and finishing their quarantines and, and being healthy and safe. Um, and, and again, we've seen in, in other sports, uh, instances where players who tested positive for COVID, um, had more severe cases for their demographic and, and for their age group. And, and have struggled in, in some ways coming back, you know, at top of mind, Kai Havertz in the, in the Premier League. And I know there's many other cases that there's a, which Joe the NFL player, for the Chicago White Sox this year, uh, flat out said the whole season, he felt like 
this was sapping everything he could do. And this is a guy who's one of the most exciting infielders in baseball now. So there's an NFL you know, player, you, a, a rusher, right? Too, I believe. Uh, Miles Miles Garrett. I think he might have had it. Yeah, I mean, the, but you know, then the reality is you have somebody like Freddie Freeman who won the NL MVP this year for the Atlanta Braves. He had an awful case of it before the year, and then the season gets going, and even after that case, he wins the he wins the MVP award. So we don't know. Um, what I do think, you know, as we transition to actual basketball analysis, what I do think is creates a very interesting. Uh, scenario for us as far as how we evaluate this team is that really I think already we were going into the first two, three weeks until Porzingis is back on the floor saying we're going to grade this team on a curve. Well, now and you know, with the amount of COVID related absences both that we know of in the short term like Tim said and in the unknown going forward, but I would say for at least this entire month of January everything, I don't know where you're at Tim, everything I see this team do I'm just looking, I'm grading it on a curve. I'm seeing what am I encouraged by. And unless it's a, a performance trend that isn't related to some unforeseen injury circumstance, it, even the negative, I'm not even weighing that much against them so far because I just think there are so many variables. And, and I'll get to an example of what I mean by somebody, you know, a performance thing that's concerning me in the early going. But so far, otherwise, as I look through where this team is, you know, through the games they played, and even especially over this last week, you know, the record may not show it yet, but I'm pretty encouraged with what I've seen from this Dallas team so far. Yeah, I, I've I've had this conversation with, with Dave. Absolutely, I, I felt like I was the the voice of reason uh, when the team was one and three, when the team was two and four. Perhaps the people I follow on Twitter are a bit more reactionary. I know, I know, I, I love, I love my Maz Moneyball. Twitter uh, reactionary, uh, homies. Never. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, I, you know, I, I love those dudes, and and a lot of them are are certainly a touch more reactionary than me. I, some of that is just the way I'm wired, and and nothing to do with with the team itself, um, or 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 what is being seen. We just, I, I think, in some ways, interpret what we see a little bit differently. Um, and that's fine. That's totally fair. You know, I don't, I don't think that they're, they're, they're too far out there by any means, but, but yeah, this entire time, I just, I don't know. I mean, I had a, I had a expectation for what this team should be an expectation that they would get there that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be immediate, but certainly I, I thought it would happen. And I think that they were getting there. I think that, you know, as, as they won the last three games, you saw the team that was expected that the, the team that we projected them to be. Um, and that was still, you know, of course, without Christoph Porzingis, and and then even and in Saturday the, in the, was just a, a mash unit of a team. And granted, it's right. Orlando, but still, you're you're seeing growth. I mean, if you look at these last three games, each one of them tells a story of what you want to see in so far as progress. Right? Houston right. is a game against a team that, frankly, I going into the year, whether or not Harden gets traded or not, I didn't assume Houston would finish above Dallas, just because I think there, even if he stays, and I don't think he will, but even if he does, there's so much internal chaos that combined with the growth that Dallas is having, I think Dallas will be a better team by the end of the year. But still, this is a team that finished above them last year. This is a team that has James Harden, who's one of the elite offensive weapons in the game. This is a game that going into the fourth quarter when Houston is chipping away at this lead and they are clawing back in, I don't think this Dallas team wins that a year ago or it gets very scary. And instead, they they sit down, they get it together, they pull away in the fourth quarter, and this doesn't end up being a close game by the end of it. There's that sign of growth then. Then you play Denver without Kristaps Porzingis, a team that was in the Western Conference Finals. They don't have Michael Porter Jr., but at this point, I, I don't think anyone would argue uh, against Porzingis being a bigger loss in terms of which guy is missing a, a key player. 
Dallas wins that game. And, you know, I'd encourage you to check out the piece Tim wrote Friday morning afterwards, which demonstrated in a lot of ways, not just that they won, but they're playing more sound defense. The clutched offense is working. They're getting key rebounds when they need, need to get it. Things that aren't happening last year. And then they play Orlando and you're down the three guys from the Denver game plus Porzingis. Luka doesn't even play that well. He gets the triple-double, but that was not one of the better Luka games this season. And the story becomes something that every good team has, which is when your best guy isn't there and you need to beat a team that you should beat, who's going to step up? And Tim Hardaway steps up and Trey Burke steps up. And those two guys lead an offensive performance that gets the job done that, yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, Orlando's a borderline playoff team, right? But this was Dallas far from their best, both performance-wise as a whole and both in overall health, and they won. That's what good teams do, and that's what the trajectory is, right? Am I am I sitting here thinking that this team's a finals team this year? No, I'm really not. But if last year the goal was to get to the postseason, this year the goal is to ideally win a postseason series, but just show growth in all of these areas. And the last week is a beautiful microcosm for this team isn't even at its best, and there are tangible signs of they're getting it. You know, they're growing up. But Tim had this beautiful little metaphor of, you know, the the little Mavericks, you know, going going to college, uh, essentially what he wrote on Friday morning. I can't remember if it was the Mavericks or was Lucas specifically wrote about, but this idea that they're growing up, right? And that is what this team was. You know, that that even that Orlando game was just a very grown up performance by a good team. You're missing the best part of that analogy. Which was? They 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 started realizing that boxed wine, in fact, ah, is, is, is not it's not thing. the way to go. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah listen, I mean, I, it, I don't come just on. edit you, Tim. I've got I've got other people to worry about. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that the team, I don't know, it's just every with everything weird, with with the, with the player, you know, with Porzingis missing the start, with Luka 
coming back out of shape. He did. I mean, just because he's playing well now and, and like we knew he would, I was never predicting that he was going to slump for a month um, or, or you know, play like rookie season, Luca or something like that. It was just a, you know, an observable, observable fact and a, and a confirmed fact by, by both him and Carlisle that, you know, he wasn't quite where he wanted to be. So, you know, between that, between Porzingis, between the, the I guess it was a shorter than regular offseason. I, I guess really just the ramp up was different. You know, it was, it was a much shorter ramp, ramping up period. And, and you know, when you consider all that, I, I just wasn't, I didn't need to see the team that I expected them to be more than a couple times in the first eight games. As long as, as long as we saw them capable of it here and there you know the consistency can come later and and that's and that's kind of where i was and and we started to see it and now you know in, in all likelihood it's it's going to be very derailed if assuming games do continue uh which again as of right now that the the news we have is, is that we should expect the team to continue we should expect them to play tomorrow night against charlotte um if they do that that's tough you know they already lost that team once and now they're going to be missing um something around five rotation players uh, if if the math is correct, because I believe the re- the reporting, I, I reported that there was another positive COVID test yesterday, and then I believe ESPN came through and reported it, you know, as two rotation players. Um, so yeah, it's it's that that's tough. Like I, I don't obviously there's no guideline to how you're supposed to go through and handle this and engage teams beyond just, I mean, given the circumstances, do we think they're performing as well as they can? Like, is there a better way to gauge what what they're potentially going to do on the court than that? No, but I mean, if you look at the wins that they do have, right, they beat the Clippers, who I I would say are on the short list of the best team in the NBA. Granted, no Kawhi Leonard, sure, but they demolished that Clippers team. They beat Denver, a Western Conference finalist. They beat Miami, an NBA finalist. They beat Houston, who was better than them last year. I mean, doing that without your second best player when the gap between your best player and your third best player is enormous at that point. And then... You know, you get to the end of that run and the COVID stuff starts heading in. But just those four wins right there without Kristaps Porzingis, that's a sign of growth. And that's encouraging. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, before I think we can look at things we want to see improve. But before we do that, is there an individual performance this year, an individual player whose growth makes you most bullish for the rest of the season? Well, you're you're trying to steal hosting duties from me. I feel you like know, I feel I like I my, hey, I got to step up for the audience, man. I got to step up and be my best inner Dave Dufour. I f- I feel like this is a good question for for you. Like I'll I'll, I'll give I'll you do an it answer. Too. We can we can both answer these questions. I, it just you're the one you're the one debuting on the podcast this season. So so I, I would be curious to kind of hear some thoughts on 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 everything. You know whether okay. it's whether it's rotational players or how you think Richardson has has looked so far, or whether you think Luca's mindset is better in terms of the shots he's looking for. Uh, all all things that I I've been intrigued with, and and certainly, um, uh, actually, I think I'm going to write about things I've liked so far this season for Wednesday. So if you're listening yes. this Wednesday, that is probably uh, online at at the uh, at the time you hear this, and and I think I think that's you know probably what we need to do right now is just kind of step away. Let's go into a vacuum and be like all the expectations, all the weird stuff swirling around. Let's like, let's just look at the players and, and individual performances and, and what we like and, and don't like so far. Yeah. I mean, I think there's more good than bad. I think with Luca, I'm, I'm kind of where you're at of, all right, let's see where we're at in a month. He's going to be fine. Even when he's not at peak operational Luca performance, he's still good enough to win you games by himself. I really, you know, I, I really don't care what Luca's doing so much as I care about the rest of the team because I know even if Luca doesn't take another step forward developmentally this year by the time it's done on the offensive end, um, and I still think he will, but even if he doesn't, what he did last year is good enough if everybody else steps up too. And so 
I've been encouraged. To me, the biggest thing that I'm most excited about at an individual level is I feel like Tim Hardaway's offense has become a lot less Luka dependent this year. And he's actually shooting better than he was last year on more attempts, which is impressive because what he did last year made him extremely valuable. And I will cop to being someone who is a little more skeptical than Tim of, all right, well, how good is Tim Hardaway going to be this year? Well, so far, the answer is not just better than last year, but better this year while not just shooting spot up threes. And he could do that. But there have been times, you know, and again, like you saw in Orlando when Luca wasn't driving this offense like he normally does. Hardaway in that third quarter took over and it wasn't just open shots. It was creating offense for himself to the point where I, I know putting him on the bench and flipping the starting lineup was designed to give the first unit a jolt. But I do want to see how he does in the sixth man role, because if he is that guy who can bring juice in the second unit and if he can, I mean, I, I kind of overrate sometimes. I, I think sometimes it can get overrated to say, well, this guy and that guy played together, but him and Trey Burke were a backcourt together in Michigan. If these guys can work together well <laughs> on the second unit, you trust Luca to facilitate enough offense for himself on the starting five that if Hardaway can prove that he can not be, you know, last year, the story of Tim Hardaway's season was once he got thrust in the starting lineup, but played with Doncic, everything clicked. If the story of this season is he doesn't need to be with Doncic all the time, and he could carry the offense by himself in short spurts. That really unlocks a lot of things on the second unit for me. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I think Jalen Brunson has looked good so far. I think Burke has shot really well so far, even if he's not necessarily playmaking very much. Um, Willie Cauley-Stein, I think, has been a godsend uh, so far, which is not a thing that I thought I would say. Uh, but the reason he's been a godsend, and this is the aforementioned, if there's one thing I worry about, it's been rough for Dwight Powell so far. And I don't know when it's right to start worrying because this is a man nine games off of an Achilles tear and Achilles injuries are absolutely brutal. I, uh, not this, uh, not this year, but last year I did a long form piece with JJ Barea as he came back for the Achilles. And I learned a whole lot about that injury. Um, you can go look that one back up, but the long and the short of it is it's just, it is sort of, I, I, sort of turned it as one of the last frontiers of sports science, right? It is one of the few injuries left that you don't know if you're to come back and it's going to be the same. You know, you, you have Tommy John surgery, baseball that used to be a career under. Now it's almost routine. Well, that's not the case with Achilles tears. And with Dwight, this is a guy who is nine games off of that. I don't think it's fair to make conclusive, uh, definitive statements about where Dwight Powell is. I don't, this is a guy who's overachieved for a lot of his career. He's coming off a bad injury. That being said, I mean, this is this is also a guy who his you know, he's shooting 46% for the field right now. This is somebody who shot almost 64% from you know before the injury. He has the lowest offensive rating by far among rotation guys on the team. One of the lowest offensive ratings in the NBA so far. And that's crucially important for Dwight because that's what Dwight does. Dwight is so explosive going to the rim. Dwight's a finisher. You could look at the numbers, you watch the tape. He doesn't have that gear that he normally has. And maybe it comes back, but if until it does, they're covered more than I think anybody reasonably thought they would be because Willie Cauley-Stein offensively has been Dwight Powell while being more reliable defensively. And if Willie could sustain that, and that is a massive if because he's bounced around in his career, even though he has the talent. But if Willie could sustain that, then you essentially have a, better version of Dwight Powell. So that to me is the thing I watch out for the, the sort of the yin and yang of what will Dwight Powell be? And if he is not what we think he is, can Willie Colley Stein be more than we expected? Um, 
That's where I'm at right now. By and large, excited about what we've seen about a lot of ancillary pieces on this roster. Concerned about one of those ancillary pieces who has a deal to be around at a not inconsiderable number for the next two years after this one. But for the short term with Willie Cauley-Stein here for this year and for next, it may not actually matter as much if he can put it together. I don't know. Where are you at with the big man situation? Because we didn't even talk about James Johnson, who it was probably predictable that James would play his way to rotation time with Rick, right? I mean, this is like if, if you are a crafty veteran and you don't screw up, Rick Carlisle will play you. Uh, and not only has he not done that, even if he's not shooting especially well, he also lets, you know, Rick loves a little funky lineup when he can make one. And the James Johnson point center idea in limited snippets gives you another wrinkle to play with. So I'm very intrigued with where this big man dust settles, especially when Porzingis comes back and obviously is going to command the lion's share of the minutes. You know, Porzingis is Porzingis. You know, Maxi is the second guy. Where are you at with the other three pieces going forward this season? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you you had a you you summarized it, it fairly well with Powell. It's it's a it's a time thing. It's 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 not a it's not that you can you know look analyze his performance you know with a with a fine fine tooth comb. Yeah, where did that analogy even come from? Where did that analogy? It's I don't phrase. like it. It's a, it's a phrase, Timothy. You you are young with your vocabulary. You don't know some of these older phrases, but. Uh, is it for like lice? Is like that? Is that literally where like anyway we can, we can move know. on from these? Uh, it would it would intuitively make sense, um, right? But I don't know if that's it. What a weird origin story for that phrase. But but yeah, in in context, I goodness, I'm so far off where I was what I was thinking. Um, yeah, for Pal, it's just you just got to give him time. I mean, I, I don't think that he's gonna start looking better because the foundational building block of what makes him a player is is what's causing him to struggle right now and we know what we do know about Achilles is that you know it's it's maybe 9 to 12 months before you can be healthy again and playing but it's often uh 18 months until you start looking a little closer to where you were before and and that's that's just a time thing like that's all that's all you can do right now so you know i think that putting bringing him off the bench and just putting him in lower pressure situations is uh is a better opportunity for him uh to to be able to work his way back he's he's going to stay in the rotation um you know maybe here and there uh rick rick drops him just for a game but i, I can't imagine that he's he's going to turn into a, a consistent uh dmp type player so yeah you just you just hope for the best that you can get from off the bench uh you hope collie stein continues doing that uh he's someone who we've definitely talked about on the podcast me and dave for a bit and and then and then the rest of the the rotation kind of works its way out um johnson is someone i'll, I'll have uh, thoughts on this week when i when i write we can end it actually no i want to i want to talk about one more player who, who you did bring up briefly and, and we'll just do a couple minutes on this uh i know we're bouncing all over the place but the player that most confuses confuses me on the roster uh, remains Jalen Brunson, who yeah. has had some great games and and had some invisible games, and it's just interesting that he came out of college projected as a as a fundamental, uh, just like trusted point guard who right. you know almost more of like he was projected to be more of a Jason Kidd type than a than a. I don't know a Trey Burke, a, a Devin, but you know th- those are not good examples. But <laughs> but, but yeah, he was trust to come in and get the job done. And yeah, not be flashy, an offense runner. Just, yeah, exactly, a facilitator. Yeah, yeah. And, and how many times do we say the next JJ Barea? And he is not that player. I, I'm not. I'm not saying he can't become that player. And I, I, I would like to still think that he kind of projects as that. But he right now in, in his best role 
is, is when Luca had to sit out and he started and he scored, I think, 34 points. And he is a he is a bucket getter and he is a you know, you bring him in to score. And right now he's a scoring guard. He's not, you know, he can play make. But I think we've I, I always make the distinction between playmaking and point guard or point guard skills. There's a difference. He can create shots, but you don't want to task him with running an offense. And it's it's so interesting from what he projected to be who he was in college uh, to who he is now. So certainly a, a good, useful player, but but not. You know, not the player I thought he would be. Not not right now. Not right now. Yeah, and I do wonder, does that, like, even if he keeps playing well, does that become an issue over the course of the year that even if Jalen takes a step forward overall in year three, that the nature of his game, it almost hurts Dallas because he's not what they need. Because if he is becoming what you say he is, and I agree with you, that overlaps a little more with Trey Burke than I think you want it to. And so who runs that second unit. Uh, and that's why, to me, it, it is interesting because you you say you don't see Dwight Powell being a DMP guy. I definitely don't think they want Dwight Powell to be a DMP guy. What I do wonder is if at a certain point, you know, if, if he needs time and Collie Stein plays well, and then you have this situation where Trey and Luca or Trey and Brunson are doing similar enough things. You don't trust either one to be facilitators. Do you almost have to give James Johnson more minutes because that's your kind of your hack to when Luca needs time off the floor? All right, we're going to run this weird point center thing for a few minutes at a time. I'm not saying that's ideal. I don't think in an ideal world, James Johnson is playing heavy, heavy minutes as the year goes on. But I do wonder, even if Jalen becomes the best version of himself in the role that he's playing right now, can Dallas, does that work enough for Dallas when? I don't know what would you who would you trust to run the second unit right now? I don't know if I have the answer as a guy on the roster who I do trust to run the second unit in a high pressure spot right now. Yeah, you you took you took what I was saying and, and took it exactly where where I would have and and so I, I think that I entered the season viewing Burke and, and Brunson as as having different archetypes, having different um abilities and, and what they're good at, uh I, I thought could could mesh better than certainly it has, just because like you said even though they do it in different ways they're i think they are very similar players at the moment or, or what they do on the court what they produce uh does does kind of run together so i think i think that's if there's one kind of rotational uh dilemma or or problem to solve as the season goes along i i think you nailed it that said as as, as we started the show i i don't know when this team's even gonna have a full rotation together i don't know no, that's a luxury gonna... that that's a good problem to have having <laughs> right. enough players who you don't know where to get them the minutes right now they're just looking for enough players of right. any sort well right now i'm just hoping we watch basketball this week uh, i think that would be ideal if it can be done appropriately and safely and uh whether that can be done is a bigger question that uh that will will leave unanswered um or or should be done perhaps uh that's that's one that we don't we don't have to get into here so mike i appreciate you filling in uh we'll definitely have you back on the pod at some point I love it uh probably with dave so we'll do a i, we'll, I, I like dave more than you so that'd be great <laughs> uh, most people do most people do so that that's uh that's not surprising to hear uh thanks everyone for listening uh again uh, of course uh just keep checking at the twitter and the athletic as we try to handle whatever the news brings next and we'll see you next week oh my god oh! shut it down let's go home it's a wrap Man, that is a wrap 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.